Hey everyone, Jason here. Before we get going, I just wanted to take a moment to give a quick shout out to the new paid membership option that we recently rolled out. This option is meant for people that have been getting value from the podcast and want to enable us to keep producing it in a more sustained way. It's also for people that want extra stuff, such as bonus content, a Slack room that's vibrant and filled with people tackling climate change from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives, as well as a host of programming and events that get organized in the Slack room. We also have a virtual town hall once a month where you can get a preview of what's to come and provide feedback and input on our direction. We'll be adding more membership benefits over time. If you want to learn more, just go to the website, myclimatejourney.co. And if you're already a member... Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. On today's episode of the MCJ Startup Series, we talk to Emergy and Emily Morris, the founder and CEO. Founded in 2014, Emergy is a transformational technology company that is redefining hydropower to remain the world's most reliable, continuous, and cost-effective renewable energy resource in an energy economy shifting to distributed intermittent renewables. Emergy delivers clean, reliable hydropower without the need for construction or dams. Since founding in 2014, Emily has secured over $7 million in funding to bring Emergy's solution to market. Within a year of launch, Emily led Emergy to become the first company inducted into the City of Atlanta's Innovation Center to demonstrate new technologies on municipal infrastructure, as well as the first company to receive equity investment directly from the City of Atlanta. In 2017, she led Emergy to install the first distributed hydropower array in the U.S. with the City of Denver and the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Now, she and the company have a host of other honors, but rather than go on and on, let's bring her out here. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm excited for you to come. Uh, we had one brief discussion a few months ago, and I think where I left that discussion was, wow, this seems like an amazing entrepreneur, and hydropower is an interesting solution area that I know almost nothing about. Uh, so I'm really eager to spend this time with you today and not only hear the energy story, but learn a lot more about hydropower. Yeah, absolutely. Hydropower isn't exactly you know, the trend of the week or the sexiest renewable energy topic, but um, hopefully what you'll find today is that there are some unique opportunities in hydro and that um, it fits a really important role within our overall energy mix. Yes. And sometimes it's, you know, it's the non-sexy off the radar stuff that can have the biggest impact and in some cases build the biggest businesses too. So uh, sometimes the stuff that everybody's chasing is, uh, uh, you know, is, is, is an anti sign, you know, it's like run the other way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We hope that we hope you'll see something um, exciting in this presentation and in what Emergy is doing as a whole. Um, and would love to to overview for you today, as well as any questions now and and as we continue, because we are we're firm believers that with uh, with spreading knowledge about hydro, that people will um, see the value and more take more interest in it. 
Great. Well, I've got so many questions, but maybe I'll, I'll hold them for now and, and let you get started with the presentation. And, and, and then I'll just ask them as we go, if that works for you. All right. Yeah, let's jump right in. Okay, so good afternoon, everyone. My name is Emily Morris. I'm the founder and CEO of Emergy. We are a distributed hydropower company based in Atlanta, Georgia. And distributed is a key word here because we are not to be considered micro or mini hydro, which typically represents scaling down of a conventionally large plant. Um, we're truly distributing the resource uh, much more similarly to solar and wind. So and thanks so much. Distributed um, hydropower, is that a new thing or has it been around for a while? You know, I think um, generally speaking, it's a new thing and it's a new thing that is enabled by the other distributed renewables. Um, you know, I think that the generation piece is really only one small portion of an overall solution and actually aggregating power from a distributed resource like a string of solar panels or a farm of wind turbines or now an array of, of hydro turbines, aggregating that power, controlling and uh, communicating with the generators and then ultimately interconnecting to the grid is something that uh, really is enabled by uh, much of the investment that's gone into solar and wind power electronics, really even just in the last decade. And so while there have been small hydro or say remote hydro concepts in the past, um, creating a truly distributed solution where you can have uh, uh, disparate sources of, of power generation across a geographic area and bring it all together at a point of interconnection um, is really, this is, um, we're pioneering a lot of that effort in the hydro space. And how does one become a, a hydropower entrepreneur? When you, when you were in grade school, did you, uh, uh, did, did, did you uh, say, uh, you know, when they went around the class and asked that you wanted to be a hydropower entrepreneur <laughs> when you grew up? You know, it's so funny. I think my businesses back in grade school were more like selling Beanie Babies on the front lawn or I had a jewelry business uh, in my middle school years or even, you know, had a little eBay business in it, when that came about in, in my college years. But I've always been uh, extremely entrepreneurial. I come from an entrepreneurial family. My dad was an entrepreneur, still is an entrepreneur. And I watched him throughout my childhood um, with both venture funded and non-venture funded businesses. And he always encouraged me anytime I had some wild idea that I wanted to, to chase after. Um, and so while, no, I don't think I raised my hand and said, I want to be in a hydropower entrepreneur. I think I always knew that I would have um, some you know, venture or business that I would be um, running. And I even now, you know, people say, what will you do you know, next or something like that? I, you know, I've got a ton of ideas, both in the energy space and not in the energy space uh, of things that I believe can be really impactful to the world around us. And, and that's what really drives me at the end of the day is the transformative impact that I think Emergy should have and will have um, on an energy-hungry world, and specifically a renewable energy, a uh, clean energy-hungry world. Um, and so, you know, while what brought me into this business uh, in 2014, which you can see sort of a, we'll work our way from the bottom right up uh, through the history of the company as well, what brought me into this business was that I was uh, working with a team of engineers in a defense contracting role um, in, uh, in my previous uh, career. And this, we were working together to build Emergy's 
core technology. Um, it was originally funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research for a military application. And um, unlike many of the other technologies we were working with, um, that some of them had uh, direct energy applicability. We were building battlefield energy storage that was liftable transportable, we were building high-speed circuit breakers. There were a number of things that were energy adjacent, but this was actually the only technology we were building that attracted funding from the Department of Energy. And so for a company like where I was working, where their business model was, was ultimately um, looking toward military procurement or other options, this really wasn't um, right in the wheelhouse for what they were doing. And as a result, after we completed uh, the DOE work, the, the technology got shelved and sat on the shelf for about two years. Um, and for those of us entrepreneurs out there listening, you know, that's when that sort of fire in your belly entrepreneurial um, uh, hunger starts. And I, um, I knew that I had to do something with this. You know, we were working were, on a You pulled on other projects at the time? Yeah, yeah. So on? I was still, no, no, I was still working on other projects um, mm -hmm. while this just sort of sat dormant. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I th said, you know, something like this, it has a transportable aspect that's standardized, that replicates in quantity, just like the solar panels I'm seeing on my neighbor's roof, um, but using a medium like water that's continuous, much more continuously available than the sun, this has to exist, right? Or, or uh, if it doesn't, it needs to. And so I started looking um, pretty intently, you know, my role at the company was around the commercial aspect. So um, I was looking at, you know, commercial alternatives to what we were building and saw that uh, really all of the companies attempting to do innovative hydropower fell into one of two categories. One was they took what was conventional, um, an impoundment or a dam of some sort, and scaled it down as small as they possibly could, which doesn't, some of the things don't scale, costs don't scale, permits don't scale, things like that don't scale to be more, you know, cost uh, you know, affordable or, or economically viable. Um, and then the other category of, of companies that are in, innovating hydropower fell into um, a more uh, in-stream approach, but mostly in rivers or oceans, which wars are fought over, um, is highly controversial, highly protected for good reason, and very difficult to get projects done. Um, and so I, I noticed that really, if I was going to pursue this, um, the technology we had was fascinating and it had many of the attributes that I believed would be scalable, um, just like solar and wind. Um, and, but then uh, I knew that there had to be some very important business model decisions made or market decisions made that said, look, you know, first and foremost, if we try to construct something, we will spend years in permitting. And so we can't do that. So we you know, eliminated all construction from the product. And then secondly, uh, we said, well, look, the rivers and the oceans are just far too difficult to install things in. So we have to focus on what we call non-controversial waterways, which are essentially brownfield sites. And I'll talk a lot more about the product attributes in the following slides, but I, it became clear quickly that we had a niche and an opportunity um, and that I needed to pursue this because uh, really, I think sometimes we entrepreneurs know that Ultimately, we don't have a choice. We have we have to uh, we have to pursue what we're driven to pursue. And so I, I finally mustered the courage after it sat on the shelf about two years to approach the company about what it might look like to take that 
on um, into a new venture. And I started, I incorporated my own venture. I found a, uh, an attorney here in Atlanta to help me navigate what that process might look like. And it took about 18 months um, to, to complete a full acquisition of the technology, but uh, we were able to do it, or I was able to do it, I guess I should say. And if there's any entrepreneurs out there that are wondering more about that process, please feel free to reach out to me. I have some uh, lessons learned there for sure. Um, and so I didn't come over full time until 2016, I continued to do what I knew best, which was look for government support for projects uh, that we could pursue. And so the DOE awarded Emergy now 1.1 million in 2016 uh, to further refine uh, the product and bring it um, to a, a higher technology readiness level. And so leveraging that, I was able to bring in a little bit of angel capital to, to have sort of a 2 million launch of the company that helped me to bring on initial um, technology, tech, technical expertise, commercial expertise, and start looking for pilot opportunities. Um, so when I started full-time in 2016, that was what we were focused on. And um, uh, funny enough, I came out to, to LA, which is sort of the land of California is the land of water infrastructure, right? With the Central Valley and all of the irrigation networks there. And I, I made a pitch uh, to some water authorities there. Um, and after I finished my pitch and got off the stage, I was headed to the airport and I came out of the restroom uh, to, to use the bathroom before going to the airport. And there were two men standing outside uh, the women's restroom. And they said, we're from the city of Denver. We've always wanted to do something like this. We know that there's energy untapped in our water infrastructure. And it was really 18 months from that moment, uh, the first turbine arrived on site in Denver, Colorado. We were awarded the first distributed hydropower array in the US in Denver. Um, and I'll show you some pictures and videos of that. And we um, spent the next year installing the system uh, and testing it. And then leveraging that uh, really to look for strategic partnerships because we knew that sort of going door to door and asking people to invest into this brand new equipment sight unseen while we had been successful uh, a couple of times now in, in being able to achieve that, we knew we needed partnerships. So in 2019, we signed a global manufacturing and sales partnership with GE Renewable Energy. Um, GE now manufactures our turbines for us and they're um, also marketing the product in select international uh, locations outside the U.S., um, and so with that, um, we are now focusing on um, global commercialization and, and market penetration in the infrastructure space. Um, and then one sort of recent um, deployment uh, we had in the U.S. is now uh, grid tied feeding electricity uh, commercially into the distribution grid in, in Sunset, Utah. And we brought in, um, uh, we were just awarded a couple of weeks ago, a new uh, DOE ARPA-E uh, support grant. Um, that will also fund our uh, continued engineering and evolution of the product over the next uh, 36 months. So a quick history, we're, we're a six-year-old company and really uh, more like a four-year-old company once I started coming over and working full-time, but we've been able to achieve more in the last four years and um, some of the comparable sort of hydro innovations uh, startups have been able to achieve in, in much longer history. So we're super excited about uh, the speed at which we are growing and where we're headed from here. Well, I'd love to keep going with the energy story, but but before we do, I feel like I'd remiss if I didn't ask maybe just for the kind of the Cliff Notes version of the lessons learned around uh, uh, you know spinning technology out of a company into its own company, because a lot of listeners might be thinking about doing similar. So, uh, are are there one or two uh, key takeaways that that you think people should know? 
Yeah, there's um, there's a ton of IP out there that isn't currently um, in inside of a business today. It may or it may be inside of a, a corporation that isn't developing it. It may be inside of a university, and um, you know, taking that out into a venture is particularly difficult because often in those very early stages. Um, uh, technical data can be really dispersed. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there were multiple funders of this technology and multiple with multiple outcomes. And so, um, you know, you have to really understand what you're getting. And then second of all, how to value it is really, really challenging because it's often at an early technology readiness level or low TRL and, and knowing what the path is to commercialization um, can often be confusing. And so, you know, I'll just mention, you know, the way we structured it was really uh, in the form of, of equity. Um, so that that way, the, the success of the company could actually value what the technology was worth. Um, and I think that worked really well for someone like me who was, um, you know, relatively earlier on in their career, didn't have a ton of, of um, you know, uh, cash to buy a piece of a piece of IP or something like that. But one of the, I think it was really important also that we structured it as an acquisition and not a license because often licensing agreements could, can be somewhat messy or somewhat, um, you know, difficult to realize true value um, on an ongoing basis. And so that's just my personal opinion. And, and I'm happy to sort of, as you, as you mentioned, that's sort of the cliff notes. And I'm happy to talk through a lot of these things to consider, things to watch out for. Um, and, you know, some of the, some of the additional lessons learned as well, if anyone's interested. Great. Well, I'm dying to know more about the, yeah. uh, the, the, the the technology and the niche that you identified and where you started and progress mm -hmm. that you made and all the things you're probably going to cover. So why don't yeah, we keep so going? Let's and I'll, jump in. I'll, uh, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I tease a little bit of, uh, of the stuff yeah. that I'm hungry to learn more about. Perfect. Okay. So I won't spend a ton of time discussing the fundamentals of the business. I think most people um, generally understand the need for clean energy um, the need as, uh, as the commitments to clean energy become, uh, you know, bigger and bigger and more adopted globally. I think I'm in good company there here. So uh, I won't spend a ton of time on that. But I do want to make the distinction between clean and truly sustainable, because there are many opportunities or many alternatives to generate clean energy. But in we're, as we all know, we're never going to have a world in which um, the sun or the wind can truly generate 24 hours of sustainable clean energy over and over again uh, to support our grid, despite the fact that 90% of all new renewable energy coming online today is either wind or solar. And so um, that really shows the need for either energy storage, as we know, that is one of the fastest growing areas right now, or something that can better represent um, a base load or a more continuous, uh, reliable opportunity um, to achieve that true 24-hour clean grid that we're looking for. And so hydropower has traditionally been the way that that has been achieved um, over the last, you know, obviously many, many decades aside from fossil plants. And so we believe that hydro should be the way that it continues to be achieved in the 21st century. Um, we're not building new dams anymore. The average age of a hydropower dam is over 50 years now. So we know that that's not going to be the solution. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we know that just scaling those hydropower plants down um, likely cannot be the solution because the permitting that's involved and other, uh, other costs related to capital um, 
capital investment is, is quite difficult. Um, so we believe that if hydro is gonna be, and that it will be a part of the 21st century energy mix, it needs to adopt the type of flexibility, the scalability and the standardization that we see in the other renewables. And so we're building what can most basically be considered the solar panel equivalent in hydro. It's a standardized module that can be replicated in series in a water infrastructure environment or, you know, from a physics perspective, certainly in, in rivers or oceans, but that's not the market that we focus on today uh, for, for all the reasons I mentioned before, um, and can be very quickly and easily brought online to deliver this value. And so what, briefly what, about- What does hydro mm -hmm. compete with? So it'll compete, well, what we compete with now are the other distributed renewables. So, you know, I, I very rarely, um, walk into a municipality or an irrigation uh, district and they say, oh, shucks, you know, we just bought XYZ hydro turbines. Um, that's typically rare. O almost always it's, you know, I have these solar development proposals uh, on the table and we're, we're looking toward um, other alternatives like solar. And so that's, you know, we don't, we didn't expect to be going head to head with solar. And I think as you see a future build out, um, of renewables uh, in a more massive way, then the, you'll see that these are very complementary to one, one another. Um, you know, to have your peak demands um, supported with solar or other uh, more intermittent renewables, and then to have your base load or your more uh, continuous needs by a water-based or, you know, a chemical storage-based uh, solution. Um, and, and what kinds of entities are you selling to? And then what are the criteria that tips you off that they might be a good fit for, uh, for the energy solution? Great question. And I don't necessarily address that in this, in this deck. So I'll, I'll try to um, explain it verbally, but basically, you know, we don't have the luxury in distributed hydro uh, to go to the NREL website and type in a latitude and longitude and pop out what the energy resource is, what, like you can if you are building a wind or solar plant. And as a result, um, we've had to develop much of that intelligence ourselves. And so we've built a, an interactive database uh, proprietarily that maps out the 16 Western US states in which water infrastructure is highly common for water conveyance or agricultural needs. Um, those are the 16 sort of Bureau of Reclamation managed states. Um, and we're also now doing this internationally as well in areas where the data exists. And what we do is we take uh, GIS data you know, combined with satellite imagery and we um, run it through a nine criteria algorithm that essentially looks at, I'll just kind of skip through um, here, that where basically we look at uh, sites that have the technical qualifications for water power, um, which include, you know, having a defined geometry, it has, you know, reliable continuous water flow, um, there is uh, little to no fish or wildlife. Um, it has the, the quantities of water at the gradients that we, that we um, are, uh, seek, and we qualify them technically for, for water power. Then we look at the commercial attractiveness of these sites um, that would have let's say uh, an electricity demand or nearby distribution grid, um, as well as utilities that, are, um, that facilitate clean energy or, or new renewables into their portfolio. 
Um, and so, you know, then once we, we run it through that, then we look at regulatorily. Um, that's one of the key reasons we focus on water infrastructure. Um, water infrastructure hydro projects are exempt from Federal Energy Regulatory Commission or FERC uh, licensing as um, other hydro is not exempt. And so it's more of a, let's say 60 day process um, to be environmentally cleared for developing hydro projects um, that isn't, um, that allows us to enter the market very quickly and develop projects quickly. And so we do that sort of, uh, I have a little army of interns that hate me because it's a very tedious process, but you know, knowing that that is a barrier to entry in this, in this distributed hydro space of knowing where these sites are, it's something that we also feel is really important uh, to build up from a competitive advantage perspective as we believe distributed hydro will become more popular. And uh, if you look at hydro overall, uh, what, what percentage of the market does it have today? And then um, what, what do you think have been the barriers that have been holding it back? And what would the, what would the critics say? Yeah, so hydropower that, that's not today, an energy question, that's a, that's a hydro question. Exactly. Yeah. So hydropower today represents about 6%. Is that right? Uh, so you're, you're quizzing me on my hydro knowledge now. <laughs> um, but but I, I think it's 6% of total energy capacity. That seems low to me, but um, I'll roll with it for now. And, you know, the paradigm in hydro has always been since World War II, uh, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger is better. Um, coming out of World War II, there were uh, huge investments into infrastructure. And that's when you saw Hoover Dam and Grand Coulee and all these major hydroelectric plants um, developed, uh, you know, to really support the industrial, you know, revolution and the growth in commerce and all of that. And hydro really was an enabler for a lot of the modern industries that, that we have seen develop in the 20th century. Um, now, I've, we observed that this has really just been eclipsed by uh, the hypothesis that you can achieve just as much power and just as much um, uh, market potential using, you know, a couple hundred watt solar panels in mass um, that I think at the beginning, the, the hydro industry just said, yeah, right, uh, prove it. And they have, um, they absolutely have. And I think it's, it's really taken the hydro industry by storm. And, you know, we, uh, we see this uh, now, you know, I, I think this is also one of the things that has enabled Emergy to capture the imagination of some of the biggest hydropower players um, on the planet, like GE Renewable Energy, who is a major industry player in large hydro to say, you know, look, the, the frequency at which countries are building major hydro facilities um, has slowed uh, to, to just glacial rates, whereas, you know, the exponential growth in the distributed renewable side um, is really, really exciting. And so how can we take a skill set we know, which is water, uh, or a domain that we know that which is water and the attributes of water that can be predictable, continuous, reliable, and controllable to a certain extent as well, and apply a product style that is more similar to solar in these spaces. And so we are, we're seeing, um, uh, of course, there are, there are naysayers that say, look, you know, hydro always has to be big and 
solar and wind can be small if they want to, um, or, you know, made, made up of small turbines or small modules. And, you know, we, what we've been focused on is at Emergy is actually demonstrating proof points that says, no, it doesn't, you know, we can show that these turbines can scale um, functionally, they can scale uh, cost effectively, and there is ample opportunity globally to do this. And so that's what you see here up on the screen is, is the UN Food and Agriculture Organization has identified over 2 million miles of water infrastructure globally, um, which is distinctly different than rivers or streams or oceans that is used for the conveyance of water. And we focus on these particular sites because they're man-made um, and they're often um, you know, strategically located and uh, have the attributes that we look at for an, an initial deployment of distributed hydro projects. Um, interestingly, you'll also notice this is a, uh, what I'm showing here on the screen is a graphical a heat map or representation of where the concentration of agricultural surface water transport is. And um, you'll, you'll sort of see that in many cases, sort of the more ancient the civilization, uh, the more prolific surface water conveyance is. Um, so you see a lot in, you know, China, India, Pakistan, um, uh, much throughout Europe, although the UN uh, conveniently leaves that out of the study. Um, but, you know, looking at our database in the U.S. Uh, details um, over 15,000 miles that we've already run through our algorithm for power. Um, so that we see a, a major opportunity um, just in water infrastructure and then potentially expanding that into more uh, riverine or other environments becomes much more achievable once you've mastered a product or, you know, a solution offering than essentially proving out both the, the product and the market at the same time. And um, the what percentage of that 2 million miles could be utilized by Big Hydro? And so I don't need exact numbers, but I but yeah. just kind of, you know, uh, like, could, is, is that 2 million miles, you know, it's ready for energy development, but can Big Hydro apply? And if not, say... why is it in the market? Yeah, I would say um, it'd be very unlikely that Big Hydro, not that it wouldn't apply, well, it likely wouldn't, um, but also that it wouldn't be of interest. You know, if you think about, I'm sure um, those of us in either California or throughout the American West, if you're in Colorado or Oregon or um, Arizona, you know, you see these water uh, channels all all over the place. Um, these are, you know, mostly used for irrigation and agriculture. And you probably, when you see them, you probably think of them more like lazy rivers, uh, something you might float down on a tube or something like that. Typically, uh, as I mentioned, with this big, big, you know, equipment mindset in hydro, they look at this and say, there's no energy there. Um, it would be like the opposite. It would be, you know, a, a parallel would be saying, you know, well, um, because the sun is so far from the earth, the actual power density just isn't interesting enough for a solar panel. Um, that's how it's, it is in hydro. Um, in this case, the energy density per, I would say, let's, let's say per kilometer of these channels, um, you know, it's going to be somewhere between a quarter of a megawatt or maybe even a little less in, in certain cases to up to one megawatt uh, per kilometer. And so, you know, when when I talk with my counterparts at GE and they say, well, our small hydro offering is a third is 30 megawatts and above. 
you know, you think about a hydro project over 30 kilometers, and that's a totally different mindset, um, totally different uh, approach to project development, approach to power aggregation, um, an approach to, you know, EPC activities and building a 30 megawatt dam in a central location. And so it really is just kind of night and day from what's currently um, approached in the hydropower industry. Um, but certainly, you know, there are canal systems, for example, uh, we're in the process of deliver, uh, developing a project in Mexico where um, we have two different streams um, coming out of the same dam. One of them already has a, a 24 megawatt hydro facility on it. And in the other one, we'll be developing 30 megawatts of, of distributed hydro. So it'll be a really great sort of comparison bet between um, how similar uses of water um, can result in, uh, in similar value of, of power for, um, for the region. So who are the players that are doing the big hydro development? So there's there's a number of um, super big players. You know, GE Renewable Energy would be one. Voith, which is a Siemens company, would be another. Andritz Hydro um, is huge. They're an Austrian company. Um, there's, of course, um, uh, CTG in China uh, under the China Three Gorges sort of conglomerate. Um, there's, there's Chinese iterations of, of big hydro developments. Um, and, but a lot of times, you know, in order to build a new large hydro, it's something that the World Bank has to be involved in. There's, you know, numerous years and hundreds of millions of dollars really in just planning and permitting, um, because it is obviously quite environmentally invasive and destructive. And in fact, in the U.S. particularly, specifically, we're removing more dams annually than we are building new ones. Um, so we know that this is, um, uh, uh, let's say a, a dying breed and in order to maintain a, a, a market share and a, a growth rate in hydro, it really has to look different um, this century than it did last. And what's stopping the big players from doing the small distributed? We hope that they will uh, eventually and, and you know using uh, using a technology as a as a baseline like emergies. Um, now developing their own methods and their own technologies certainly could happen as well, which is why it's important for us to to not only um, know and also to to act um, in ways that support that the actual module you know that you see here in the picture. Um, this is a very small portion of our IP. You know, we focus on, uh, you know, if you look, think about going back to Roman times, uh, the idea of using a rotating uh, apparatus that is forced by water to perform a certain task is something that's been happening for centuries. And so taking the energy that's in the water and converting it into electrons is really, you know, a small portion of, of our IP. Um, we do have IP filed and awarded on the module design. And there are some certain things that uh, are really intriguing about, about our design uh, related to, you know, having a twin system that the two turbines that you see here in the picture do hydrodynamically interact with one another. Um, and there's some uniquenesses to the system, but, but really, you know, where our intellectual property lies is how we understand water infrastructure um, and the energy inherent and how we optimize that for uh, distributed power generation over a large number of generators, and, which involves um, not only fluid dynamics techniques, but also um, critical understandings of 
uh, hydraulic impact and hydraulic optimization over uh, over many turbines. And what I can also, uh, I guess I don't have, I took the video out of this presentation, but in fact, this project here that you see on the screen um, was done in partnership with the Bureau of Reclamation where we actively took uh, hydraulic measurements and measured hydraulic impacts throughout uh, an array uh, of turbines that we uh, actually picked up and moved them to different spacings and different densities um, to measure those impacts. And so that there is a significant amount of proprietary learning related to um, not too dissimilarly from the wind industry, how you see uh, wind farms positioned in different ways to take advantage of other uh, turbines wakes in, in the array. Similar here, um, optimizing the fluid to where you can not only uh, have one, um, let's say optimized design, but also dynamically uh, refining that when you might have um, higher flows or lower flows, which is particularly important in the infrastructure market. Um, in the last five years, Calif the state of California has experienced both the wettest year on record and the driest year on record. And what's expected uh, with increasing climate change is that we'll see more and more extremes uh, through the water channels as well as through rivers and, and, and all of our water resources. And so um, having a system that dynamically adapts whether the water depth is two feet or 12 feet uh, to be able to have a, a, a maximized performance regime is something that um, we spend a significant amount of our time developing from an IP perspective. Um, and we'll continue to do that with this most recent support uh, from the Department of Energy and ARPA-E. And then on the market side, as I mentioned, sort of proprietarily building this intelligence about not only where, um, where these resources are, but also calibrating that with real data that we um, are able to um, collect at their, you know, in publicly available ways uh, based on how these, water these waters flow is, um, we believe building a, a value in, in pioneering the distributed hydro market um, that may not exist other places. And are you providing these solutions end to end for any given uh, project or are you partnering for some elements of it and what is the business model? Great question. So today we've arguably had the most basic simplest business model there is, where we've essentially been approaching water infrastructure owners, whether that's the city of Denver, as I mentioned in my earlier story, whether it's uh, an entity like the LA Department of Water and Power or SMUD or some of the more well-known ones you know, or hundreds or actually thousands of, of small districts um, really locally spread throughout, throughout the West. Um, we approach them and, and work with them as they invest into the equipment, they own the energy asset, and they take the long-term profitability of the system. Um, that's a really scrappy way to build a business. It's a really uh, transparently boring way to build a business and, and really unlike much of the other renewable energy businesses. Um, and so we, while we've been doing this really in order to um, achieve validation points that the product works, that there's a market ready and willing to buy it, that they're willing to buy it at our price point. And we've been able to hit many of these validation points. We know that in order to achieve faster, more exponential scale, we have to be developing projects uh, similar to the other, uh, the other alternatives. And so working with either with developers 
as partners um, or by uh, developing our own uh, in-house development arm is something that we're currently we're currently investing into and we're currently exploring. And I'll sort of make a shameless plug here since I know the the listeners um, of the podcast might be interested. We are actively seeking talent in this area of folks that may have had uh, significant experience in the solar, wind, or other renewables project development, but are interested in some of the unique attributes of Emergy's technology, such as the redeployability of our product, given that it doesn't have any construction, um, and we can optimize that in terms of on-demand type of energy or energy as a service. And in addition, um, things like uh, portfolio-based developments, where you take advantage of different watersheds, unique values uh, to be able to have uh, attractive investor returns. And so I'm sorry for my shameless plug, but we would love to hear from you if you have talent and interest in that area. Um, and our, I would like to help us build this out. And when it comes to scaling a business like this, what is the role of equity capital and what is the role of project finance? If any. That's a great question. And, and you know, of course, you've probably seen from my story so far that I've been a big believer in and proponent of at some points to our detriment uh, of non-dilutive capital um, and also uh, of other types of financial support than just equity. And so, you know, I, of course, believe in the role of um of strong equity uh, support. And I would say at this point in my entrepreneurial journey, I'm I'm more of a believer than ever that not all money is created equal. So finding the right equity partners and growing the business uh, in a missionally and strategically aligned way, I think is very important. But we've always had the mindset that we wanna raise as little equity as possible and maximize other sources of funding um, like project capital or uh, grant funding in order to um, grow the business sustainably. But also, I think um, uh, we, we try to be careful not to do that uh, at, at the at a cost of our speed to growth or our, um, you know, our ability to really scale. So we are, um, we are in the process of starting a capital raise. Now that, again, our mindset is let's let's raise the, the appropriate amount that we can activate um, project capital to really get uh, products and solutions and projects into the field because we believe the next 24 months of the company are going to be really critical in how many of these systems we can effectively deliver into the market at um, cost and economic um, uh, metrics that are really exciting. So you, well, you just kind of answered it, but I'll ask it a little more explicitly. So um, so what, uh, what's the stage of the company? What kind of traction do you have to date in whatever way you define it? And then what are the key priorities and milestones for the company over the next 24 months? Great question. So, um, you know, the, the stage of the company is that we now, uh, as of 2020, have um, installations that are grid feeding and that are, um, are now ready to be replicated. So rather than trying to achieve a new milestone of grid connection or uh, some type of commercialization milestone like that, really the next 24 months are all gonna be about replication. How many of these projects can we deploy um, and how quickly? And so you'll see here on the screen, um, our, uh, a look at our sales traction. We define traction uh, from sales and we have four projects here in the US now. Two of them are already installed and two of them are, are in fulfillment and will be, will be installed uh, by the end of the first quarter. 
2021. Um, we have about uh, three and a half megawatts in, in pending proposals right now. We have had some import challenges due to COVID for some of our international um, opportunities and are uh, also um, developing the right kinds of sales models together with our GE partners. And then our, you know, we're, we have a pipeline of customers that we are focused on really kind of throughout the world, um, projects on, on every continent that uh, we, with customers that we are developing relationships with. Uh, you'll see a high concentration of those in the U.S. We have a four-person sales team based in Boulder, Colorado, that we are actively growing right now as well and seeking talent for as well. Um, but, you know, we are, um, we receive a lot of unsolicited inbound uh, interest in distributed hydro. And often we find that the pain points in many locations internationally are quite a bit higher um, than, than the customer relationships we're building here in the U.S. So the company will continue to have a strong um, yet complementary international focus uh, to our sales as well. And we just launched uh, uh, an actual team in Australia uh, earlier this year that is focused on Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands, uh, where we see significant market opportunity there as well. So um, we are, we're currently um, at an inflection point in the business where, as I mentioned, we have been focused primarily on demonstrating uh, the proof of the business and the proof of the market. And now uh, the next 24 months are going to be all about execution. How many customers uh, can we secure and how many uh, projects can we install? Now, um, as I mentioned before, as we, as we are transitioning our sales models from a more direct, direct equipment uh, sale to a project, uh, that's in development, obviously we recognize those have different gestation periods, uh, different skill sets. And so we are continuing to plug away on our equipment sales um, pipeline as we really introduce this new sales model um, globally as well. Nice. And, and as a non-hydro person, non-distributed hydro person, non-energy person, even uh, why should I, uh, or why should anyone that, that kind of isn't in this world and doesn't have a horse in the race, root for distributed hydro to, you know, to, to win and to scale? I think, um, I think everyone should care about, about making the right decision as it relates to how capital is being invested, uh, how it's been invested and how it will be invested. And, and we know that the trajectory of investments into clean energy and into more renewable projects are massive. And we know they're gonna continue in the hundreds of billions annually uh, over the next foreseeable years. Um, and as a result, you know, we should be focused on putting that money and being good stewards of that money, um, putting it to good use in, in projects that have uh, sustainable outcomes with more continuous outputs of power um, at, at cost effective rates. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I am deeply passionate about the state of our world and, and how we'll combat climate change. But most of our customers are not. Um, they're, they're really just all about dollars and cents and how they can get the most cost effective energy. And so um, when you look at on a per, uh, a per kilowatt hour basis, um, the, the real sustainability of a kilowatt hour that's, that can be generated um, in a much more reliable fashion, we believe it is a very important point that shouldn't be overlooked uh, despite you know, the, the just drop, 
uh, drop dead cost of, of buying a, a piece of equipment. So, um, you know, I think anyone who, whether in climate or not, um, should care about where the energy comes from when you flip your light switch on, um, and that it comes from a place that's, that's as sustainable as possible, both economically and environmentally. Great. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or any parting words for the audience? No, I'm really, really glad to be in front of you today. And I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to hopefully make a few of you into believers in distributed hydro. Um, I would love to continue the conversation either on the Slack channel or uh, directly um, with anyone that may feel so inclined. Okay. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show and best of luck Jason, to you, thank and, you and the whole Emergy team. Thank you so much. It was fun. Hey everyone, Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at myclimatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you. Thank you.